Several years ago, I had the opportunity to teach at a ministry in Memphis called Downline Ministries a handful of times, and through that, got to know a good buddy now, Mr. Jamie Trussell. He serves as a teaching pastor at Harvest Church in Memphis, Tennessee, um, but spends most of his time as the executive director of Downline Ministries. They take um, lay people from all over the Memphis area and bring them together for a nine-month program to train them in disciple-making. They also have an emerging leaders program where they bring college graduates from all over the country and maybe even all over the world to come to Memphis as well and to be trained for nine months in Bible, theology, manhood, womanhood, disciple-making. It's an incredible ministry. Jamie was with us at the men's retreat. It was just absolutely awesome. He's going to be preaching God's word for us today. So please welcome Mr. Jamie Trussell. All right. Well, thanks, Mitch. Good morning, Redeemer. So great to be with you. And I mean every word of that. I was telling Mitch on the men's retreat, I really think in God's kindness, it's been better for me to be here with y'all than it was for, uh, or me to be with y'all than anything I blessed the men with this weekend or maybe even this morning. But we'll certainly trust God's grace in that. I had a wonderful time with y'all's guys. Just what a wonderful group. And as we talk about disciple-making and being men's of influence, and I uh, spent a lot of time with Mitch's family, which was a real neat treat for me. I met Molly's goat, Willie Nelson. I've never done that before. And I feel like if you spend time in a cage with Willie Nelson, you're kind of in. So I feel part of the group at this point. I'm really excited to be here preaching God's Word. However you would access God's Word this morning, meet me in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Before we get there, and by far the least important part of our time together, just to maybe make us feel at home with one another. I grew up in Auburn, Alabama, don't hold it against me, and graduated from Auburn University and grew up in a home, certainly that valued church, valued God, and I would have had a working knowledge and belief in God's existence, but did not come to any sort of saving faith in Jesus until I was age 16 on a mission trip in Venezuela. And so some of my friends were part of this youth group at a church in Auburn and you know, they told me they're going to Venezuela one summer. And I, I love to travel then, love to travel now. And I was going, ah, I'd love to go to Venezuela. They're like, well, it's a mission trip. And I go, ugh. And I said, okay. And they said, yeah, it costs like $1,500. And well, I don't have the money anyways. They said, oh, don't worry about the money. They said, if you just write people letters and tell them you're going on the trip, then they send checks back and you get to go for free. And then I'm going, this is brilliant. So that was my, that was my introduction to support raising which I kind of thought was Christian money laundering, and I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> and so I did it. Right, I wrote 20 letters, and I mailed them out, and checks started coming back in. And I was sitting at my house opening the mail, and there was all this money, and I'm going, I could, I could do this for a living. Uh, and so God had other plans. So I go on the trip. First day on the trip, we're having this team meeting, and you have to fill out a time slot to share your testimony. And I was going, uh-oh. I don't have a testimony. Now, in any room I've been in, I've never been the smartest, but by God's kindness, I've rarely been the dumbest. So I looked at the list, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to sign up last. Because if I go last, I can listen to everyone else share their testimony. And by the time it's my turn, I'm going to have something to say. I'll know what a testimony is. I'll know the things I'm supposed to say, things I'm not supposed to say. So that was my plan, and I did it. Last slot on the trip is me. So we go the whole week. 
And during the week, God's, I mean, he's working on me, right? We're building stuff. We're in this Venezuelan little, little town, and we built this, like, 10 by 10 concrete house, center block house for this lady, just mud, dirt floor. And she's out front just weeping, saying, I can't believe I live in such abundance. And here I am, a 16-year-old, right, from Auburn, Alabama, listening to her talk about abundance. And I'm sitting there looking at her going, man, this is not adding up. And so my wheels are turning. So anyways, fast forward, end of the trip, it's my turn to share. So I'm a red-blooded southern male, full of courage. I go and hide in the bathroom. <laughs> so now I'm going, if I stay long enough, I can outweigh my time slot and we'll have to move on to something else. So I just stay in there and wait and wait and wait. I don't know what they were thinking, but I come back out and the entire team is still sitting there. So I climb up on this you know, four-foot cinder block wall outside of El Renuevo, Venezuela, and I start to embark upon this facade of a testimony. I get about one sentence in. I still remember looking at my buddy, Will McLean. He was seated probably in this area. And I said, man, I don't know what any of this is, but I want it. And in that moment, firmly believe that God brought me from death to life, revealed the person work of Jesus to me. I was able to respond in repentance and faith and went from being a dead man walking to having new and eternal life in Jesus. And this summer, that'll be 25 years ago, this coming summer. Now, I don't want to paint a false picture. That was 25, almost 25 years of walking with Jesus. If you are, now some of us are old enough to remember the old Polaroid cameras where, you know, you take the picture and then you shake it. And probably young people now think that's really cool. That's all we had. It wasn't like some vintage camera. But if I were to do that with my life and just take snapshots and shake them out, I could arrange those pictures in such a way that you would think, man, this guy's only ever loved Jesus. And I could take a whole other section of them and put them together and make you think, this guy has only ever been a raging pagan. But the reality is those snapshots are all mixed together, aren't they? And in walking with Jesus, that they're these Seasons where I'm more in tune with the Spirit. Seasons maybe where I'm more grieving the Spirit and telling Him no. But that walk of the last almost 25 years has been the most precious thing, gift that God could have ever given me. And so I stand here now with you really excited about sharing with you a verse that's been a big part of the last 12 months for me. And so when we read today that Jesus is sort of beckoning and He's offering this invitation, come, but it's not this generalized come. I mean, it does go out to everyone, but he specifically is offering it contextually to those who are weary and those who are restless. And some of your pastors, when we read it in a second, are going to say that, that they're labored. These last 12 months for me have felt like that. There's just a general restless and weariness that had crept in. It was only about 12 and a half months ago, not too far from here, just, just down the road, that a plane carrying five of my friends crashed outside of Yoakum, Texas. Uh, four of those men died. And one survived, and two of the men on that plane were some of my closest, closest friends. One was our executive pastor. One was a fellow elder with me at Harvest. And so that began, the only survivor of the plane crash was our lead pastor. And so that began this intense time of ministry and leadership and uh, depth of grief at our church in Memphis that none of us had ever experienced before. And God, in a singular moment, just sort of thrust us in 
uh, to what I can only define as the last almost 13 months of this combination of joy and pain that's only true for a Christian. That it's only if you have the hope of Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 4, that we grieve as those with hope, not without hope. That it's only being united with Christ and sustained by His Spirit that you can actually taste pain and joy in the same meal. And we've been doing that back home for months and months and months now. And just to see how God takes things that in the world's eyes is so tragic, and it is tragic, but amidst the tragedy for the Christian, it's not definitive. And we found over and over again in the last 13 months back at Harvest that God really does take things that to us is seemingly bad and in a Romans 8 fashion works it for his good. But there is a weariness amidst that, a restlessness, a fatigue that no nap could ever solve. And in a way, different circumstances, that's the type of crowd Jesus is talking to in Matthew chapter 11. That he's talking to a group of people that have been continually beaten down by the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees. And you have this group that they're just so restless, like they're searching, but they're weary, so they're about ready to give up. And they're not just searching for kind of simple answers to simple questions. They are searching for something to unlock the depth of all the restlessness inside of them. That they are longing, is there a way for us to know God? Is there a way for all of this pain and tragedy and brokenness and self-inflicted wounds and circumstantial wounds and things that others do to us, things we do to other people, is there a way that all of those things can ever be made right? And it's to that type of person that we pick up the dialogue. And we pick it up kind of mid-paragraph, which isn't the best way to study the Bible, but we'll situate it contextually here in a moment. But we pick up this singular statement, this invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Those are the very words of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we do come and... We would confess several things this morning had we time, but we'll start with we believe the Bible's from you. And since the Bible's from you, that makes it uh, several things, and one is authoritative and another is trustworthy. And so when we come to the Bible and we disagree with it, it always necessarily means we're wrong. And so places today where you would want to correct our perspective, places today where you would want to take the power of your word and conform us more and more to the image of Jesus. We ask you to do so. In Christ's wonderful name I pray. Amen. So 1128 is an invitation. I remember in the winter of 2013, so I'm married, coming up in a few weeks on 11 years to my wife, uh, Shanna. She's fantastic. I wish she would have come, but that would mean our four children would have come with her, and I didn't necessarily want that because it's good to take a breather every now and then. Right, and so uh, Shanna is an East Texas girl from Longview. She was a Spring Hill Panther, so I got to connect with some guys at the men's retreat. Uh, we're a little bit of Texas roots, and look, I kind of claim Texas. I had two kids born here. I owned a home and paid taxes, so I feel like that counts for something. Uh, and Shanna, uh, with her, God's given us four wonderful kids. James, he's nine. Gabe is eight. Kyle, that's our little girl. Uh, she's five, and then Grady is four. I'm taking up a separate offering uh, for his future bail at the end of service. Uh, feel free to contribute. Uh, 
And so God's really been sweet to us and kind to us in ways that we never, never could have imagined or deserved. But in January of 2023, uh, Shannon and I, I still remember, we're sitting in a house at Savannah Way in Germantown, Tennessee, and we're addressing envelopes, right? And she's addressing them because she's got great handwriting, and, and she's addressing them. And I'm licking them and sealing them and stamping them and tossing them in another box. And we just over and over again. I remember the Baltimore Ravens were playing on TV with some, you know, NFL playoff game. So we've got that on. And we are addressing, at that point, right, the most important invitation we've ever sent out. Right? Come join us February 23rd, 2013, First Evangelical Church, 7 p.m. And we are inviting people to our wedding. Now, my wife, who's really sweet, just keeps adding people to the list. I'm sitting there going, I haven't talked to that person in six weeks. Cut them, you know, like let's condense this thing. And so we're just invitation after invitation after invitation. Now, were we sending out logistical info? Sure. Right, date, time, location. But an invitation is more than that, isn't it? That to invite someone to something, especially something as meaningful as your wedding, that you're, you're sending a message with that piece of paper that says, we actually desire for you to be with us. That we're not only asking you to come to some logistically planned event, but there's something happening that's a piece of us. And in inviting you, there's an expression of desire that we want you to be here, to share something with you. And Jesus' invitation is no different. That I think, and I think I can make a good argument, that Matthew eleven twenty eight is the single most important invitation in all of human history. That there's never been an invitation more poignant, more life-changing, more, uh, with more eternal implications than what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come, I'm inviting you. All of you, come. But he doesn't say come to a location. He doesn't offer a time. He doesn't offer a place. We'll talk about why that is. Jesus invites us to a person, to the singular reality of God in the flesh. And he says, come, only one qualifier. There's only one thing that he says has to be true of you to answer yes to this invitation is you've got to be convinced you don't have all the answers. Life doesn't always completely make sense. That there is something at the depth of our soul that through all of our trying and all of our playing and all of our investments and all of our pleasures and all of our studies, that there's still something at the depth of who we are that is not at peace. He says, hey, if you have been running on the treadmill of validating yourself and proving yourself and wanting others to look at you and say, your existence makes sense because of all of your accomplishments, he says, if all of that stuff has worn you out and if you find yourself going, I can't do it anymore, he says, come, come. It's the only thing needed for you to respond to the invitation. So back up with me. Let's situate it a little more contextually. Verse 27. Let me read 27 down through 30. It says, all things, all things. So he's going to give us, right? So if you're invited 
to meet a person, probably the most natural question to ask is, who am I meeting and what are they like? I need some context here that who is this person that's inviting me to himself? So verse 27, he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. Now, there are going to be two moments in this passage, 27 through 30, when Jesus tells us a little bit about who he is. Now, one is going to be, in a sense, positional. That he's saying, I am God in the flesh. That's what verse 27 is saying. He's saying, I and the Father am one. If you want to know who you're coming to, that you are coming to God himself when you're coming to me. That you're coming to the one singular reality where God becomes man to bring mankind back to God. He says, this is who you're coming to. I've got all the power over all of creation. Now, in some ways, that's pretty interesting. In other ways, that might be pretty terrifying. An invitation from God himself. God, do you know who I am? Not on the outside, but do you really know me? My thoughts, my conversions, my vocabulary, what I've thought about other people that sit in church with me? Me? I don't know if I want to go before that God. You've got all power? That could be a pretty scary thing. So this is this positional come to me, God in the flesh. And that would be really scary, except skip down to verse 29. What else does he say about himself? He says, take my yoke upon you. We'll talk about that. Learn from me for, he says, what's true about him? I am gentle and lowly of heart. Gentle and lowly of heart. Uh, Dane Ortland wrote a book, I don't know, four or five years ago now, called Gentle and Lowly. In that book, Gentle and Lowly, he takes this verse, centers a whole book around it, and he makes this claim, and I think he's right. This is the only moment in the entire New Testament where Jesus reveals his heart to us. Now, he reveals himself as God throughout the New Testament. But the only moment and the only statement where he says, hey, at the depth of who I am, that if you were to dig down into the heart of Jesus, which incidentally is the heart of God, Jesus says, do you know what you'll find? I am gentle and I am lowly. We can translate, you don't have to be scared anymore. So what does he mean, gentle and lowly? Gentle here, the word there is the idea of it's the opposite of harshness. Okay, so if you can imagine a really harsh person, Jesus is saying, I'm the opposite. In context, he's pitting himself against the Pharisees, incredibly harsh. But if you were to go to the Pharisees with any sort of, hey, I'm really struggling with this, they would have met you with, we'll do better. Quit doing that. Try harder. Be smarter. More effort. Keep exhausting yourself. And Jesus says, that's not me. If you go to them, you get met with harshness. If you come to me, you're going to find gentleness. But that's not all that he says about himself. He says that I am lowly. Now, don't read lowly in the sense of like weak or impotent or powerless, we know that's not true of Christ. When Jesus says lowly, the idea there is someone that came down low, left heaven, came to earth. 
to rub shoulders with us. The idea of him being lowly is the idea of him being accessible. What's the point of inviting people to come to you if they could never find you anyways? And he doesn't have to offer a time or a date or a location because when Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly, he says, hey, you don't have to be afraid. You can always come. I'm not going to be harsh. And guess what? I'm always here. No hoops to jump through. No riddles. No maze. I am always with you, always present, always waiting and ready to be found. Now, let me do a quick aside. Is Jesus gentle and is Jesus lowly? Yes. And the ones he's saying and identifying that towards are the ones that are coming and responding to that invitation. There is a harshness to Jesus and a wrath of God that will be poured out amongst all those that would look at this invitation and say, forget it. I'm not doing that. I'm going to hang on to my own harshness and my own ways and God, I've got it better than you. I've got it figured out. And I'd rather do me than have to bow my knee to you. So there's a whole other side. But Jesus is saying, hey, if you repent and if you come, don't be scared of me. I love what Dane Orland says uh, in his book, Gentle and Lonely. He says, the primary, I love this, the primary disposition of Jesus is not a pointing finger but open arms. How about that? Now, if you're like me, I can kind of fall into the trap of going, God, I bet God's up there in heaven going, what are you doing? How many times are you going to, Jamie, figure it out. And Orlan says, not a pointed finger, not a shame on you, but these open arms. I need those open arms. Amen that I need to know what the author of Hebrews says is true, that I can approach the throne of grace with confidence, not because of who I am, but because I know the heart of the one that's going to meet me there. So Jesus says, come. Yes, I'm God, God in the flesh, all authority, all power. You don't have to be scared of me. Now, if you want to do you and reject me, well, there's a day coming and you should be fearful. But if you repent and come, Don't be afraid, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. And then look what he says. Take my, verse 29 to back up, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So a yoke, many of you will know this, but a yoke was this huge wooden beam, huge, heavy wooden beams. There's some thought that Christ is a carpenter, right? So maybe he was a stonemason that could be used, term carpenter could have been for that, or maybe he was a carpenter that generally did woodwork. He maybe did both. But there was a thought that even Jesus in his family carpentry practice, that one of the main things he made were yokes. And these were gigantic wooden beams. And these beams they'd put on the back of of their oxes. And those oxes would then be attached to the plow or to the cart or whatever they were pulling. And so Jesus is saying two things about those he's inviting here in this passage. The first he's saying, hey, you know what's true of all of humanity? You're restless and you're weary. The second thing is you're yoked to something. That when he says to take his yoke upon us, he's not saying you've never been yoked before, so take this first yoke on. He's saying, no, 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 no. You're already yoked. My yoke is just different. 
And when it says it's easy, that there was a way back then that if you had a really good yoke, I mean, you paid top dollar. You can get the best one possible for your animals, that the easy yokes were the ones that didn't rub the back of their animals raw. I mean, time and craftsmanship went into it. And Jesus is saying, hey, my yoke, when you hit yourself to me, guess what I don't do? I don't rub the back of your neck raw. Now, that's different because in his day, most of these people, they've been yoked to the Old Testament law as taught by the Pharisees. And if you were to look at it, you don't have to flip there. I'll just read it briefly. If you were to look at Matthew 23, here's what Jesus says. Here's the type of yoke you've been wearing. Now, that's true of legalism. It's true of religiosity. It's true of the Pharisees. Hey, this principle that I'm about to read you, this is true of every single yoke, not Jesus. So remember his claims. We're all yoked to something. Or you may be yoked to your career. You may be yoked to your spouse. I'll explain that in some sense that we are, but... You may be yoked to him or her in such a way where you're looking for them to define your self-worth. You may be yoked to your kids and everything that they do, defining who you are as a person or your accomplishments or your intellect or your degree. Whatever it is, Jesus says, any yoke that is not me does this. In Matthew chapter 23, it says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat and do and observe, and you do and observe whatever they tell you. They preach, but they don't practice. Verse 4, they tie heavy burdens that are hard to bear, and they lay them on your shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them an inch. Every yoke that is not Jesus adds weight to our back and rubs our, in a sense, the necks of our souls raw. They're not easy. And they're not light. Jesus says, hey, when y'all go to the Pharisees with all of your problems and issues, all they do is throw 50 more pounds on your back. And you're going, "Ah, I can't even lift 10. Well, take 50 more and do better. And Jesus says, the yoke is crushing you. And like I said, that's true of every single yoke that is not him. And if we are yoked to our flesh, the Bible promises it will destroy us. If we are yoked to money, the Bible promises it will rot us from the inside out. If I'm yoked to Shanna in such a way where she has to define my worth and value, I will end up killing the most important relationship in my life. Why? Because none of those things are able to bear the weight of the yoke we put on them. I will destroy my relationship with my children if their academic or athletic performance either makes me drop my head or puff out my chest. They can't carry the weight. And the relationship Jesus is trying to get us to see here is there is a correlation between our restlessness and what we're yoked to. So the more we're not yoked to Jesus, the more restless we are. The more we hitch ourselves to all these other wagons, we will find nothing but fleeting peace. We'll grasp at it and never find it. And we will go to bed every single night. And you know what we'll feel? 
gosh, my back and my neck are raw. And Jesus says, but they don't have to be. Like if you're just tired, there is a, I don't know if I should talk about this in church. Oh, well, I'm a guest preacher. Send Mitch your emails. There's a, uh, there's a band we hosted them at my fraternity house when I was in college uh, called Cross Canadian Ragweed. They're out of Oklahoma. And they've got a song that just said, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's some of you this morning. And here's what Jesus wants to know. How tired are you really? Like, are you going to leave this morning and go right back to thinking that if you can just get one more promotion, then the turmoil inside is going to go away? Are you going to leave here still believing that if my spouse would just acknowledge my own greatness, then I will be completely fulfilled? Are you still going to leave today thinking one more Bible study, one more tithe, one more prayer, one more scripture memory, and I'll be good to go with God? That's a yoke that's going to leave my neck and your neck completely wrong. It's interesting when Jesus sends this invitation. I got to be careful here because everything I'm about to say is important for the Christian. But when Jesus sends the invitation, you know that he doesn't say, hey, come unto substitutionary atonement. Come under or come unto divine election. Come unto justification. Come unto church. He doesn't invite us to any doctrine and any performance. He invites us to the only person that actually make the doctrines mean something. And he invites us to the person that do we do works? Yes, but it's because he loves us, not because we're trying to earn his love. And I wonder, in church, was true of me this year, when I looked up, you know, six, seven months ago. And I wonder, at some point along the way, I was coming to a lot of good things, scripture, study, you know, my wife, my kids, my church, good things. But it's been a long time since I felt like I really just sat down and came to Jesus himself. Just to sit, just to trust his promises, to know, strip everything else away, and he's enough. And that's the invitation that he gives. Come unto me if you're weary and heavy laden. Let me, let me close down with this. That You know, when Jesus makes this, and I just learned this recently in my study, kind of preparing for this passage, that... Uh, when Jesus makes this invitation, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, this isn't the first time we see it. In fact, this is one of the numerous times that Jesus is actually claiming to be God. The exact same invitation is given to the nation of Israel. 
in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Just listen to it there. It says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads, look for the ancient paths where the way is good, walk in it, and find rest for your souls. And so in the Old Testament, the Lord Yahweh is saying, there is a path and it is good and it brings rest. And in Matthew 11, you know what Jesus is saying to all these Old Testament experts of his day? I'm the path. I'm what you're looking for. But be careful, because I didn't read the last verse in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. You know the nation's response when God offers that invitation? They say back, we will not walk in it. And Redeemer, I would tell you this. There's urgency to this invitation. That this life that you and I are in is a vapor and a mist. There is urgency in the response. Because there's a day coming when those that never come, oh, they will come but it's not going to be gentle and lowly, Jesus. And so my exhortation to you is, for as much as today is today, come. Lay it down. Toss the yoke off and put his on. And he's the master carpenter. He has hewn it and shaved it and sanded it and stained it, and it's not going to rub us raw. It's going to sit right there and give us continual rest. So when we leave this week, just know, guaranteed, we walk out of these doors, there are a thousand invitations that are coming our way. All right, so my flesh this week is going to indict, uh, invite me to indulge. All right, my uh, impatience is going to invite me to rage and to blow up. My bank account is going to invite me to actually try to give a little less so that the Trussell family can have a little more. And my career and who I am in public is going to invite me to make sure that I know it's the approval of people that determine who Jamie is. All these invitations are coming. And they all are back breaking, neck-rubbing yokes. But there's a greater invitation. And that greater invitation says, you don't have to indulge your flesh, for in my kingdom there is pleasure forevermore. Hey, you don't have to withhold, for it's more blessed to give than to receive. You don't have to lose your patience because in the anger of man is never found the righteousness of God. There's a greater invitation, Redeemer. And it's my hope and prayer that if you know Jesus, that you'll take him up on the invitation moment by moment and let him bring peace and rest. And if you don't know him, that the ultimate yoke that you are chained to, which is sin and death and destruction, that you will finally say, Spirit, set me free. You might be like me on a concrete wall in Venezuela saying, I don't even know what all this is. 
But that, this yoke that sets me free, that doesn't break my back anymore, I want it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we're so grateful. Uh, We're grateful for open arms and not a pointing, wagging finger. And just so thankful that there is an alternative to ourselves. That we're not left to just figure this out and to keep strapping on weight and, and be stooped over from the heaviness of this life. That you offer us this invitation. And we're not to be scared of you. And you're not going to meet us in shame and, uh, you know, these questions of, hey, what took you so long? You don't do that, God. You're just going to meet us with open arms that says, let me get that off of you. Let me put this on you. And so for anyone that's never responded by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I would just ask that maybe today is a day that their yoke is exchanged forever. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.